and welcome back to Sprinkles of SEL with U2L, a podcast on social and emotional learning, wellness, neuroscience, and healthy habits for educators or anyone in the education space. I'm Lauren. And I'm Namratha. And we are the SEL team here at United to Learn. Today's sprinkle of SEL is on mindfulness. Ooh, mindfulness. What is Namratha? What is mindfulness? Mindfulness is a way for us to harness our mind. What does that mean, Lauren? Well, let me expand a little bit. One of our most common definitions of mindfulness explains that it's paying attention in a particular way on purpose in the present moment and non-judgmentally. Mm. Yeah, that, that makes so much sense, especially that last part, non-judgmentally. Like intentionality, being present, and not tearing yourself down internally. <laughs> Tell us some more, Namratha. Yeah, absolutely. There's so much that we, I think, hear in today's day about mindfulness. And I think it's one of those words where, again, you hear so much about it. We have so many definitions being thrown out about it, but it's also like, what is it, right? It's a little hard to grasp. And there's a lot of research that's been done on mindfulness in particular. So there's so much research on this. And let's just dive into a little bit of it. For example... Harvard researcher and author of The Mindful Body, Ellen Langer, cautions us to be more mindful of how everything changes. So although a powerful technique like meditation, which is so useful towards building up our mindfulness, is there, mindfulness as a concept is not necessarily just about being able to meditate more. So fundamentally, it's about that increased awareness and the consciousness that we achieve when we are able to notice the variations in our state of being. So that includes our pain, our mood, our energy levels, our symptoms of illness. And when we're able to be more aware of this, we also become more aware of the power we have in being able to alter or adapt to that state of being to be our best self. Okay, so just to reiterate and be clear, are you saying, Namratha, that mindfulness and meditation are not synonymous? No, they're not. Okay. They're not. While meditation is something that can help build up our mindfulness. Mm-hmm. Mindfulness is the goal, right? Meditation is the journey. Got it. One one of many ways to one take that journey. One of many, exactly, exactly. Cool. Yeah. So one of the techniques that we've talked about on our podcast before is locus of control. And that was us building mindfulness, if you think about it. When we became aware of what was and was not in our control, we then were able to immediately accept the power and responsibility for the things that we do have in our control. And we're better able to let go of that which does not. Which ultimately would theoretically reduce your your bad mood Mm -hmm. uh you Mm -hmm. can become less negative absolutely you feel less helpless and more able to conquer the things that maybe are current roadblocks in your life absolutely and i think like you said the word helplessness is absolutely something that can be uh uh, altered because of mindfulness, right? I go back to my traffic example all the time because that's my most, uh, you know, reoccurring one where if I'm sitting in the midst of traffic, I can absolutely feel helpless in that situation. Or I can be very mindful of what I'm feeling and think about how I can adapt to that situation the best way possible and be purposeful and be int- as intentional as I can be with what I'm reacting to or what I'm uh, able to say or do in that moment. 
So in the field of SEL, much of our mindfulness begins with that emotional self-awareness. We've talked about Castle's five competencies. It starts with that very first one, emotional self-awareness. So we become aware of our emotions, thus allowing us to better self-regulate what we feel, which then contributes to the way that we are showing up in the classroom, at work, whatever the situation might be with friends, with family. And in one of our recent episodes on emotional intelligence, we've also talked about how emotion is so essential to learning, right, from Immordino Yang. So we can be emotion scientists. We can be delving into our emotional self-awareness. We can be mindful. Yes. And it's a muscle. Remember, your brain is a muscle. You must exercise it mm-hmm. the way in which you would exercise your biceps at the gym. Yeah. Absolutely. So why do we hear about mindfulness all of the time? Um, and it's because mindfulness truly does affect our health. It's very important. And there have been numerous studies that delve deep into this, but here are just a few. For example, one study that encouraged residents at a nursing home Um, had them take responsibility for simple decisions and or to care for things such as a plant, they found that these residents were two times as likely to be alive 18 months later. So the power of the brain. Yeah, right. that's exactly it. Especially in that stage of life, the power of the brain can do so much for you. There's another study done on housekeepers. And um, the study was done, it compared two groups of housekeepers. Housekeepers, one group of the housekeepers was told to conduct their daily duties at work as if they were compared to being uh, in a gym and exercising. So comparing it to working out. And a group that just conducted their daily duties. In comparison, um, the housekeepers that were thinking about their work as exercise in a gym lost more weight, reduced their blood pressure, and their body mass. Wow. Yeah. And can I point out one other thing about that study in particular is the like the control group of housekeepers who were just asked to go about their, you know, go about their business as usual. They were provided um, health information, like information on the just the general health benefits of the work that they do. Mm-hmm. But the way that the second group, that experimental group of housekeepers who were asked to perceive their work differently, to perceive it as, oh, I am going to the, like almost I'm, this is my fitness routine for the day. Um, this is like my, this is like a different way of looking at like my day. It's not looking at like the chores I have to do or like I have to be here, but like I can almost get to be here. It's a little bit of a shift in that mindset. Mm-hmm. It's that shift in perception that they experienced. So they also know the general health benefits of the work they do. But when you're asked to shift your mindset, mindset, you saw so many, uh, so much significant results as a result right. of that. And it was, and it's solely in their brain. Yeah. Solely starting with thinking, but it had physical benefits. And they didn't do anything differently. Right. They just thought about it differently. Right. So as Henry David Thoreau said, it's not about what you look at. It's what you see. So the point is, is it's about the way we perceive the cards we've been dealt. Mm. And when you increase your mindfulness, you're able to explore more benefits for your health if you are able to increase being mindful. So mindfulness is perception, is what I'm getting there. Tell me more. Mindfulness is perception, meaning that If I'm able to perceive, like you said, the things in front of me differently, Mm -hmm. I can act accordingly there, right? And so I can be looking at the same thing you could be looking at. But if my perception is different, if my perception is perhaps in a way 
uh, something that allows me to be more intentional as a result of looking at that situation Mm -hmm. more mindfully. Mm -hmm. Then it really does. I mean, it goes back to the way we look at it first and foremost for me to be able to react differently. And then the changes happen. And the changes happen. And so when you're cognizant of those things, you can have positive change, Mm -hmm. whereas a lack of mindfulness might put you in a negativity spiral Mm. and might put you in the lens of perceiving things negatively, which will also have an impact on you, but not not the kind we want. Not the kind we want, exactly. So why should our educators care, Lauren? What do you think? Why should they care? I think that educators and SELEs, most of you probably are educators who are listening, but educators have so much on their plate. They have so much in front of them. And my question to you, SELEs, is, When in the day are you being intentional for time for mindfulness to enhance your personal well-being? When are you making that time and how are you using that time? So I think it's a tool that is powerful. It's a key lever to better wellness for educators. And I think that's why it's important for us to talk about. Yeah, well said. And just to highlight a, few, a little bit of those uh, th- those benefits that we've been talking about so far, for educators, when educators practice mindfulness, studies have shown that it not only pr- improves our emotional awareness, our regulation, but it also affects how effective your communication is with your students, how you work with your students who are difficult to manage in the classroom space. And it also affects the way that you are shaping your learning environment. So it's at the end of the day, it's much more effective for educators to recognize and manage, not necessarily manage themselves, but recognize how to be mindful and to be mindful uh, to be able to show up as your best self for your students. And the other part of this is we, we hear about mindful edu- mindfulness education as well, right? And that's where we are involving mindfulness techniques into your classroom curriculum or into the day a little bit more um, targeted in a more targeted way. But mindful edu- mindfulness education can reduce the negative effects of stress and increase our students' engagement and focus. And more so than that, more studies have shown that elementary school students who have participated in biweekly mindfulness sessions for approximately four to six weeks, they have exhibited higher levels of well-being, lower stress levels, lo- lower negative emotions, and better behavior at the end of the day in comparison to peers who may not have participated in the education. So just going back to your point, Lauren, I think it's also something where we can say it's benefit. It's benefiting our students when they can practice it. It's benefiting us when we practice it. But so much of what we've talked about on this podcast already has been about it starts with us. Mm -hmm. It starts with us as the adults in the room. Absolutely. So when we talk about mindfulness, I want you to consider this question, SELEs. Is mindfulness the destination or is it the journey? Mindfulness, more than it is something that we practice, is really something that we ultimately strive to be. We strive to be mindful. So um, as a starting point, we can say we're practicing mindfulness, but the goal is to be mindful. So here are some techniques you can use to help be more mindful. One, the five whys. We covered that in two episodes ago. Season two, episode two. Mm -hmm. You're uh, thinking through your loci of control. What is in your control. So what do you have the power over? And then practicing um, what you can do, what is in your locus of control. Another one is self-reflective meditations. Some things you can do with your students specifically to develop that is to take um, five deep breaths together, 
do five body hugs where students can wrap their arms around themselves and give themselves a hug or hug with consent from others. Uh, the pressure releases oxytocin and it helps our minds uh, come to a calm place, a calm, positive place. Another one, and you can do this adults too, is to find five colors or shapes and, and name them and be fully like looking for the shapes or the colors. You can do this with your five senses too. When you feel yourself kind of getting riled up, go through, name something you can see, something you can smell, something you can touch, mm-hmm. taste. Five senses, yeah. yes, five senses. Um, and then another one is jot down five happy thoughts. That also increases showing gratitude and noticing the good in things, and that is also another practice that over time will strengthen your ability to be more mindful. Mm-hmm. Okay, great. So I think one of the things that I can think of when I hear about mindfulness, or I've heard about mindfulness in the past, is the concept also surrounding mindfulness corners, which mm-hmm. I think in education we hear this, um, and it's a great thing to have. But let's think about this for a second. Mindfulness corners or peace corners or calm down corners or any other variation of that that you might have heard. How do they help or do they help in any way towards supporting our mindfulness and our students' mindfulness? So for me, I would say, yes, they do help. And the ultimate goal of a mindfulness corner is to provide a child with that space where they are feeling safe enough to be able to emotionally be aware, emotionally regulate, to be able to recognize and navigate their emotions in a productive way. But something we want to be mindful of ourselves, (laughs) pun intended, (laughs) pun very much so intended, (laughs) is that these corners require our mindfulness, right? They require our intentionality in setting them up more than anything. So what I mean by that is we have to be careful not to rely on the mindfulness corner as the sole area in which a child learns to regulate their emotions. So yes, it's a physical environment for them to do so. And it's wonderful if we have that space, especially within a classroom, for them to know like, hey, I know I I had a horrible argument with a friend. I'm not super happy with them, but my teacher just told me I need to like take some time for myself. I'm going to go to this corner and do so. And that's a great setup for them to recognize that they have to be able to work through those emotions in a very um, productive way. But what happens if a child goes home, they're outside of the school setting, and they need to regulate their emotions, and there's not necessarily a calm down corner or a peace corner to do so? What do they do then? Mm-hmm. Right? So they we also have to recognize that we don't want to attach the idea of mindfulness to only exist in a mindfulness corner. Right, because what happens when that physical space isn't there? So how are we equipping, A, ourselves Mm -hmm. and the children to be able to connect with their own personal mindfulness if the corner isn't there? We don't want to stop them from that journey. Yeah, absolutely. And so it's just really going back to, so it's not to say a mindfulness corner doesn't help, but as educators, it's just for us to recognize that we the inherent skills that we are building up in our students to practice mindfulness to ultimately be mindful is the end goal right it's the it's the destination and something like a mindfulness corner something like meditation those are the steps we take on that path yes yeah all righty so i do want to share one quick last story before we wrap up for today yes, just please. just in terms of how being mindfulness of how our physical environment can really help us shape the way a student engages in the classroom. And so I was at a campus a few months ago. This was in in the spring. Um, and I was walking around their sensory room. I was working with their counselor. Um, and the question we walked into that room thinking was, what things, what fidget items, you know, what sensory type of tools 
um, can we place in that room to help students out who who might need those items to be able to regulate their emotions? So that's what we walked into that classroom space with. And I was working with the counselor and they had already like so many cool things. They had these really cool sensory floor tiles, which I think I might get for myself. Um, it's really cool when you walk on them. They like, you know, they change colors and everything. Um, and so I could I could see why the kids probably get a kick out of that too. But they had those. They had beanbag chairs. They had a little mini ball pit. They had all these wonderful things in the room. So we walked into that space and I was taking note of the fact that they already had a lot. So is the question, do we put more in there then or do we... Think about how are we using what's already there. And so we actually um, brought in a, a young student. He was about four years old into that space. And he was so sweet, a little hyperactive. And so he was the student in particular. The counselor was telling me that he ended up getting referred to her a lot because at some point in the day, the teacher would just get uh, very upset with him. He was distracting class a lot. And so he would end up being sent to her. Um, but he's just and he's also just like the sweetest kid. Right. So he was taking some time. He was running around the room. We were just watching him play. We were talking a little bit through that. And then at some point, you know, we both got up, we shifted a few items in the furniture around because the idea I was thinking about was like, again, there's so many things in here. How can we set this up in a way that's more productive for, for these kids when they come in? So we shifted the table away from the wall. We put some of the beanbag chairs over against the wall. We moved some of the items. And within like the span of a few minutes, this young four little boy, four year old little boy, he he goes over to the table, he picks up something, then he goes to like where that new beanbag was placed, and he like immediately sits down and just starts quietly playing, and he just stayed like that for the next few minutes as we were talking, and so we were talking about how we noticed the shift, um, very you know almost immediately happen, yeah. and so the point of that really is just to say, it's things like. The idea of being intentional with what we have also, being purposeful with that right. is is the point of when we're when we're working to affect our students' emotional needs and the way they regulate those needs as well um, in a classroom space, in a in a learning environment at the end of the day. Yeah. yeah, for sure. For sure. So it's not like you need to go buy extra things to become yeah. mindful. Things are great. Um, they are. They, are they can great. help. <laughs> but also know that it's it's within you. And yeah. so as we transition uh, to our mindful moment before we do our commitments for the week, I'm going to go slightly rogue on this one. We're doing a little one out of a book called Just One Thing by Rick Hansen. Um, mm -hmm. You may be familiar, but before I talk about what he says about being mindful. I just want to um, articulate a few things he says regarding the health benefits. He says that studies have shown that more regular practices of mindfulness create uh, a lot of health benefits for us. A couple of them are adding a neural connection in the insula, which is the part of the brain that supports both your self-awareness and empathy for others. So that's a benefit there, increasing in the SEL competencies, castle competencies. But it also works to help um, increase the relative activation in your pre the left side of your prefrontal cortex, which is like right behind your forehead. It's the thinky part of your brain. Mm -hmm. um, but that helps us control and reduce negative emotions. Mm -hmm. So it helps us uh, alleviate a negative spiral. It can also strengthen your immune system. Hey, teachers. <laughs> uh, I know that you're, uh, you have really great immune systems because of your exposure to all of the things. But when you do get sick, it's killer. So mm. um, 
go ahead and think about how mindfulness can help increase your immune system. And it can also reduce the impact of pain and accelerate post-surgical recovery. Oh. Yeah. Isn't that interesting? amazing. Yeah, 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 for sure. Um, But the last part, I just want to read what he says about being mindful. Because it's just plain and simple. He says, mindfulness is natural. You are already mindful in many things each day. The problem is that most of us remain mindful for only a few seconds at a time. The trick is to have more episodes of mindfulness and to lengthen and deepen them. Mm. So while you are mindful at, at many points during the day, pause to consider increasing the amount of time that you sit with that. I love that. That was great. Last but not least, our commitments for the week. So this is, I think this is actually perfectly going in with the theme of this episode, but I have recently started meditating again, and I've been very uh, bad in the past of doing this consistently. Mm -hmm. So just keeping in mind what you said as well, I'm trying to do it with short episodes right now. Mm -hmm. I'm trying to just do like a two-minute meditation, a five-minute meditation. Just by the end of the day, I want to be able to do at least just one meditation a day. Mm -hmm. So that's my goal. That's my commitment. And to your point, I want to be able to lengthen those periods of time though. I want to lengthen the period of time that I'm being mindful in that space. Yeah. So we're working on it. We'll see. Yeah. I'm going to start small. I love that. Mm -hmm. Um, One of my commitments, not just for the week, but it's something I need to... um, get back in the habit of doing more regularly is going to sound baths. <laughs> I love those. Yes. There's a, a great um, meditation studio called Breathe Meditation on right off of Lemon Avenue by Whole Foods. But um, for me, sound baths are helpful because I am being mindful and meditating, if you will. But I um, sometimes like silence makes me uncomfortable. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. So having that sound bath happening gives me an opportunity to allow my brain to be present with that sound mm-hmm. instead of sitting in silence because I'm still working on that part of me. <laughs> to that point, like you said, Lauren, last tidbit for today, does mindfulness or meditation truly mean you have to be in silence the whole time. No. Yeah. Unless, there's guided meditation. Check them out on YouTube. There's podcasts. You can find plenty. Mm-hmm. There are free apps that have guided meditation. Absolutely. But I think to your point, like a sound bath, right? You are maintaining a singular focus, which is the point of a meditation. Mm-hmm. You're maintaining a singular focus on the sounds and the vibrations that are coming at you during that during that experience. So mm-hmm. I feel like that's a wonderful way of saying that you are meditating. Yes. Yeah. That's great. Yes. I love it. And you're being very mindful and being very present in that moment. So. Yes. So. Kudos. Yeah. Okay. <laughs> All right. SELs, we can't sign off without saying we love you. We see you and we hear you. We know we are hitting a busy season as we kind of get closer to the end of semester one and head into the middle of the school year. So I just want you to remain positive and remain um, present. Mm-hmm. <laughs> mentally and physically but just know that uh, you have us in your corner you have people that see you and care about you and value you and your students they are so lucky that you are their teacher so until next time bye Bye. we love you SELEs see you later